Well, happy Father's Day uh, to the fathers, the, the grandfathers, the, the foster fathers, and also want to honor uh, those of you uh, who have tried to have kids or have even lost children. We want to honor you today as well. We know Father's Day, Mother's Day can be difficult uh, for some people. And so we would just want to honor you and say, uh, we're, we're praying for you today as well. Well, the, the quarantine, the pandemic has been hard on families, uh, but it's been especially hard on dads. And you might be thinking, what are, what are you talking about? Well, if you hadn't seen it, there's this challenge going around where women get in their cars and videotape hitting their husbands with purses and children and all kinds of different things. Here's, an, here's some examples. Now I pulled the audio out of this for obvious reasons. All right. But you can tell, he's not happy. He just got smacked in the face with something, all right? Watch this. This girl reaches back. She's just gonna bash her dude right in the back of the head. Boom. He's not happy about it. Watch, but he's got another thing coming. Boom, right in the face. Here's another one. I love this one. This guy's long hair flying all over the place. Now he's about to take it right again, right back in the face. Boom, right in the face with that purse. This guy... Got a child purse right in the back of the head. He's not happy about it. Look at him getting the eye boom right back in the face, that purse. <laughs> She's getting a kite. She's throwing that kite all around. And then this is probably my favorite. This girl, I don't know if she's single or what. She's got her brother, her son, maybe. I, I'm not really sure here. Uh, but then just right in the face on the way back. And he just spazzes out as he goes down. He's out, he's out cold. Well, maybe you felt the same way like that, whether it's the pandemic, uh, it's the quarantine, uh, it has just smacked you in the back of the head and then right back in the face on its way back. And that's what trials do, right? Trials expose weaknesses in our faith, our family, our finances, but sometimes they, they, it's what pushes us off the cliff and causes that free fall in our faith, our family, or our finances. And today we're seeing even in our country as a whole that our country right now is struggling, it is falling. And, and so what do we do when we're falling? Well, we've got a word for you in this series. It comes from the book of Micah, one of the minor prophets in your Old Testament. And this verse is a covering over, and it's where we got the title for this series, is a covering over this series. We're gonna talk about it every week. And so I wanna draw your attention back to it, and we'll say part of it again uh, together here in just a second. But Micah chapter seven, verse eight, Micah says this, though I have fallen, I will rise. Now we're gonna say these three words together, okay? We're gonna read the verse, because we're memorizing this verse over the course of this series. Micah seven, eight, though I have fallen, ready? I will rise. All right, you guys, y'all are 10, 15 a.m. Okay, 9 a.m., that would have been okay for the 9 a.m. service. But you're 10, 15, you're gonna have to do a little better than that. You've had a little bit more coffee than they have. It's just my guess, all right, ready? One, two, three. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though your faith has fallen, you will rise. Though your family, your marriage may have fallen, you will rise. Though your finances have fallen, you will rise. We will rise together. And so again, this week, just turn to the person next to you and say, rise up. Maybe there's someone way down, they're social distancing themselves from you several rows away, okay? Just yell at them down the road, rise up. Hey, you, way down there, rise up, all right? Rise up. That's what we're doing together in this series in Jesus' name. And today, we're gonna be talking about what do you do when your family falls, when your marriage falls? 
And trust me, if it hadn't happened, it's going to happen. It does happen. When you get married, you're going to go through trials and tribulations. And the married people said, amen, right? I mean, and then amen and amen again. You, you go through hard times. It's tough. It's tough getting married. It's tough having kids. It's tough living in a house with other people. And so families and marriages fall. They do. They struggle. But, but what do you do? How do you rise from the ashes? How do you rise from the fall? You may have known this, but during the quarantine, abuse and divorce have skyrocketed. They have skyrocketed because trials, if they're not exposing the weakness in your family or in your marriage, they, they will push you off that cliff. If your focus is in the wrong place, if the focus of your family is in the wrong place, and oftentimes it is families, it's just easy. It's the natural tendency of families of marriages to get focused on the wrong things, to value things that should not be valued as most important. Families often are focused on worldly success. Sometimes families are focused on one person in the family, like the whole family revolves around one person or a couple of people or the children in the family. But I wanna challenge you today that the focus of your family should actually be on a person outside your family. The focus of your family, your effort of your family, the energy of your family, the output of your family should be focused on a person outside the family and that person is Jesus. And so my challenge for you today, here's our big idea, is you've got to fix the focus of your family. Whether you've fallen or not, you've got to fix the focus of your family. Because if the focus of your family is off, when the trials come, you're going to get knocked down. They're going to expose the weakness. They're going to expose that the focus of your family is off. And so we've got to fix the focus of our families. And if you're here this morning, you're like, I don't have a family, even better. It's even better if you're single or married and, or you don't have kids or you're a child or a college student, whatever it might be. It's even better because you can prepare ahead of time. Like it's better when you're single to hear about how to have a great marriage and how to be a great parent. It's better to hear it then and to lean in and engage then so that you can prepare and maybe not experience some of the difficulties and the trials and the mistakes that others of us have made. And so it's even better, man. I would encourage you even more so lean in, engage, take notes, download our app. If you don't have it, the city church Lubbock, if you do open it up now, follow along with this. We're going to be in Luke chapter two this morning. So Luke chapter two, open up the app, follow along. There's fill in the blanks, gives you something to do. Have a little fun while you're in church. You get a right answer. You get a green line and you feel all good and spiritual and you got a right answer in church. What's wrong with that? Right? So Jump, get on the app, jump on the app and follow along with us. So Luke chapter two, we're going to look at Jesus and his family, their house, and see what we need to fix in our house and how to have a rising family, how to have a family, a marriage that rises from the ashes. So let's go. Luke chapter two, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival every year. When Jesus was 12 years old, so he's a student now, sixth grader, right? Every year, when Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. So, so take note of this. Every year, as usual, this is what they're doing. 
every year as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. It was a long and dangerous journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem and back, very dangerous. And so they would travel in these huge caravans. And so there'd be kids traveling in the caravan that they would play with and they'd play with each other. They'd play with the other kids, you know, kind of like playing with the kids down the block, right? So they're playing together in these huge caravans. And so they, they didn't know that he wasn't with them at first. They're on their way back to Nazareth. They assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. And when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, three days later, they finally discovered him. Let's stop there for a second. How do you lose Jesus? for three days, right? I mean, let's just stop for a second, right? I mean, if you're a parent, how many parents, how many of you've lost your kids before or your kids got lost, they ran off, whatever. Okay, me too, all right? I think some of you are lying though, right? I just, I really do. This is, man, you, you can be honest here. We're gonna be real and genuine, okay? About, about our struggles and about the, the, where, we, where we've messed up, okay? So, so Jesus's parents lose Jesus for three days. Moms, can you imagine the mom guilt here? right? Losing the son of God for three days, right? Now I know you moms are thinking, but it's father's day. What about the dads? What about dad guilt? To which all the dads said, what's dad guilt? I don't even know. What are you talking about? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But have you ever been lost before as a child? I was at, at SeaWorld one time. I was lost for about an hour. My parents, I got separated from my parents and my brothers, all these people, I started, I sat down on the curb and I just started crying. Now you didn't say, oh, you guys are heartless. You don't care. I was a little kid. I was sitting on the curb crying all by myself lost. This lady comes up beside me. She sits down. She puts her arm around me. I was at least smart enough, even though I got lost from my parents, I was at least smart enough to just sit, stay right where I was at. I sat down about an hour later or so I'm back with my parents. But some of you guys know how sometimes your kids, they're lost and they don't even know it, Right? They're off by themselves. They don't have a clue. They're just having their merry old time, just doing whatever they want to do, you know, getting into whatever they want to get. They don't have a clue that they're lost. Jesus's parents think Jesus is lost. They can't find him. But Jesus doesn't think he's lost, right? I mean, we're talking about the son of God. So where is Jesus? Well, let's see. Finally, they discover him. And here's where he's at. He's in the temple. He's at the house of God. He's at church. How many of you, if your kids get lost, you're going to the church? Oh man, my kid, they're, they're lost. They must be at church. They went to church, right? I'm just betting. That's not the first place you're going to look. Well, it wasn't where Jesus' parents looked either, surprisingly. But Jesus is in the temple. He's sitting among the other religious teachers, listening to them, asking questions. And all who heard him, watch this, they were amazed at Jesus' understanding and his answers and spiritual things. He's 12. Jesus is 12. Not even in middle school yet. But they're amazed at his understanding and answers and, and spiritual things and spiritual matters. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But, but why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? 
but they didn't understand what he meant. And then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And then watch this, Jesus grew. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with all the people. In other words, he grew in relationship with the God and with, in his relationship with other people. So he, he was growing. He was rising. Jesus was growing. He was rising in wisdom and stature and favor with God and people. How many of you, parents, you don't have to raise your hand or think, how many of you would love that to be true for your kids? That they grow in wisdom in stature and in their relationship with God and in their relationship with people. I think all of us as parents would love that to be true for our kids. Well, if we want to have a rising family, if we want our marriage to rise from the ashes to grow, I need you to see three things today from this passage about Jesus's house. And here's the first one. Number one, Jesus's house consistently attended the house. You follow me here? Jesus's house consistently attended the house. Jesus's family, it says, consistently and as usual, every year went to Jerusalem to the temple for the Passover celebration. So here's what that means. Jesus and his family, his house, they were devout and committed Jews. They would have been very disciplined in daily prayer and in the weekly gatherings, annual celebrations. Let me ask you this. Is your house consistently, regularly going to the house? Like, is that something your family is focused on? Is it a priority for your family? Now, I know some of you who know your Bibles would be saying probably right now, but wait a second, Clayton. You and I both know that church buildings today are not the house of God. And you would be right. In the new covenant, Paul says this, you and I as followers of Jesus are the temple of the living God. In other words, you and I are now the house of God. We are the temple of God. And so wherever you are, God's presence is there too because God resides in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says you can read it in Ephesians chapter one. At that moment, you receive the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of you. It's the presence of God inside of you. And so Paul would say this, you now are the temple of the living God. You're the house of God. You're where the presence of God lives and resides and dwells. But it's also true that as followers of Jesus, we are a spiritual family. And when the spiritual family comes together, which we're supposed to do regularly and often because we need each other to rise from the ashes. We need each other to grow in our relationship with God. We need each other. God didn't create us independent. He created us interdependent. We need each other to grow in our relationship with God and to grow in relationship with people just like Jesus did. And so when we come together as a spiritual family, in that sense, that is where the house of God is. That could be next to a tree. That could be at a park. That could be in a theater. A lot of churches meet in movie theaters now. It could be in a school. A lot of new churches start out in schools. It could be in a sanctuary like this. It could be anywhere, wherever the people of God come together. In a sense, that is a house. That's the house of God because that's where the people of God are meeting together. It could be in a small group like our city groups where you come together to pray and read the Bible and, and get to know other followers of Jesus and do the spiritual life together. 
But wherever the people of God come together, that in a sense is is the, the house of God. And we grow and we rise together in the house of God. But Jesus loved being at his father's house. He loved it. In fact, when everyone else was done, right, and headed back to Nazareth, they're done with Passover, they leave the temple. Jesus stays behind in Jerusalem at the temple. In other words, he couldn't get enough. He couldn't get enough of being in the presence of God and meeting together with other spiritual people. He couldn't get enough of it. When everyone else was done, when everyone else had had their fill, when the celebration, when the festival, when the ceremony was over, everyone left. Jesus stayed. He couldn't get enough. In fact, he even tells his parents, you should have assumed I would have been in my father's house because that's where I love to be. I love being in my father's house with other people who love the father as well. It's where I long to be. It reminds me of Joshua in Exodus chapter 33. In Exodus 33, it says that Moses went into the tent of meeting to to meet with God. And it says that in this tent of meeting, Moses would meet with God like a friend meets with a friend face to face. And God would speak to Moses like a friend speaks to the friend. Isn't that wild? God God would come down in this this cloud and it would fill this tent of meeting and, and God would meet with Moses and speak to him. And it says this, that after Moses was done meeting with God, Moses would leave the tent of meeting and it says this, that Joshua, his assistant, would stay behind. Would stay behind. Like, like Joshua couldn't get enough. Like he wasn't done. Moses was done, but Joshua wasn't done meeting with God. Joshua wanted to stay behind. He wanted more of God. He he hadn't had enough. And so he stayed behind. I mean, can you imagine seeing God come down and meet with Moses and talk with Moses face to face? And then Moses walks out and you're just like, what just happened here? God just spoke to him. I want some of that. I, I, I want in on this. God, I want to speak with you. I want to be with you. Joshua couldn't get enough. And I wonder if it was that aspect of Joshua's heart, his not ever getting enough of the presence of God, his loving to be in the presence of God, this staying behind aspect of of Joshua's heart, just like Jesus had. This staying behind. I wonder if it was that that God saw in his heart that said, hey, Joshua, you're going to lead my people after Moses. Moses is going to die And you're going to lead my people because there's this part of your heart that loves me and loves my presence and can't get enough. Well, what was the result for Jesus? Joshua ended up leading the people of God into the promised land. What what about Jesus? What was the result of this part of Jesus's heart that, that stays behind? that can't get enough, that longs to be in his father's house. What ended up happening with Jesus? Well, it says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and people. And if you want that to be true of you, you want that to be true of your family, you want that to be true of your kids, if you want your family, your marriage to rise from the fall, then you've got to consistently get your house to the house. And if you don't love being in the house of God with other followers of Jesus who love being in the house of God, then you need to ask God to do something in your hearts because you've fallen away from him. 
If you don't love it, if you can't get enough of it, then you need God to do something in your heart where you so long to be in his presence and to be with other followers of Jesus that you can't get enough. Secondly, Jesus's house prioritized attending the house. It was a priority. They prioritized attending the house. It was a priority in their life. What was Jesus known for? Like when you read Luke chapter two, what, what, were the, what were these religious teachers amazed at Jesus about? Why were they amazed at Jesus? Was it because he was a great baseball player? Man, Jesus, that, that Jesus, he is great at basketball. He has got quite the three-point shot. He, he could probably, he's gonna end up playing for his high school team. I bet he's going to Cobb, he's gonna get a scholarship. Was it cheerleading? Maybe it was volleyball. Maybe, maybe Jesus was known for being a great hunter or a great golfer. Is that what Jesus was known for? Is that what they were amazed at him for? No, it wasn't. It, there was no worldly thing that they were amazed at Jesus for. They were amazed by his understanding, his wisdom in spiritual things. You see, most of us, want ourselves or we want our kids to be known for worldly things instead of spiritual things. And so we give ourselves to those things that those things become the focus of our family, the, the energy, the output, the focus, the, the intensity, the energy of our family. It's all towards worldly things and worldly success. And those things are not bad in and of themselves, but when we prioritize those things above spiritual things, we've got a huge problem as the people of God, a huge problem in our family and in our marriages. The focus of our family, of our life, of our marriage is off when we give ourselves more to worldly things than we do to spiritual things. Most of the time, I think if some of us are honest, most of the time, Getting our house to the house is the last priority. It's what we do if we have time. It's what we do if we haven't scheduled anything else in its place. And I think if we're honest, and we should be honest, a lot of times it's the last priority. It happens when we can, which in turn shows our kids, it communicates, it screams to our kids what is most important in this life. Dr. Vodi Bakum is the Dean of Theology at African Christian University in Lusaka, Zambia. He's also a well-known and popular conference speaker, author, pastor here in our country. But here's what he said about this idea. If I teach my kids to keep their eye on the ball, but not on Jesus, I have failed. If I teach my kids Dads, I teach my sons to keep their eye on the ball, but not on Jesus, then I fail. This past week at City Nights, it's our weekly midweek prayer gathering, worship gathering, which is back, by the way, 6.30 Wednesday night. We'd love for you to join us this Wednesday. Uh, but this week, Levi, my now 13-year-old, who's huge, by the way, <laughs> Uh, he, he's standing next to me at city nights and, um, it's at the end of the service. We're, we're worshiping, we're singing the song and, and, and I'm singing and I kind of got to a point where I was quiet and I could hear my son 
next to me singing this worship song with passion, not, not just, not just saying the words, but singing this song with passion. And it broke me. After the service was over, right after it, I grabbed him, I put my arm around him and I whispered into his ear and I said, Levi, I want you to know that nothing, there's nothing in this world, in this life that you could do that would make me happier, that makes me happier than hear you worshiping Jesus, than to see you loving and following and serving Jesus. Levi, I know we love baseball. I grew up playing baseball. I played it in high school. My kids play baseball. We, we love baseball in our family. We play football. We play basketball. We do all these things. There's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves, but I want my son to know there is nothing in this life that makes me happier. Because he hears me praise him for all kinds of worldly things, for doing good at school, whatever. He, he hears that enough. I, I want him to know there is nothing in this life that he could do that would make me prouder or happier than for him to worship Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to follow Jesus. Nothing makes me happier. And he needs to know that. Our kids need to know that. And they don't just need to hear us say it. They need to see us prove it and back it up by prioritizing, getting our house to the house. Listen, you will control your schedule or your schedule will control you. One is going to be in charge and the other one is going to serve the other. You're in charge and the schedule serves you or the schedule's in charge and you serve it. And I think in all of our families, we need to evaluate who's in charge. Is it the schedule? Is it the calendar? Does, does what comes up, does the school schedule and the sports schedule, does it control me or do we control it? Some of us need to take charge back of our lives. We, we think spiritual growth is just going to happen on accident and it's not. It happens on purpose. It happens by being intentional with the focus of our families. Parents, if you're not burning for Jesus, then you can't expect your kids to catch that fire. It starts with us. If there's not a burning in your heart for Jesus and for the presence of God and to be with your spiritual family, then we can't not expect our kids to catch that fire. And then third, finally, Jesus's house knew why they were attending the house. Jesus's house knew why they were attending the house. You might be thinking, Clayton, I, I, I kind of thought you weren't into this whole religious checklist thing, like this consistent attendance thing for attendance sake. And you would be right. We're, we're not. That's not what this is about. We're not talking about some sort of religious thing in order to make God happy or to be right with God. That, that's not what we're talking about here. Jesus's family knew why. So, so, so why was Jesus' family consistently and prioritizing attending the house? Well, the best way to answer it, to, to, to answer why they were doing this, was to, or is to, explain what every family knows and realizes about a long journey that you take from one place to another, right? I mean, when you're in a car and you're traveling from one place, one city to another city, what do your kids do? How long is it going to be? When are we going to get there? 
Why are we doing this? Why does it have to be this way? You know, I always answer my kids with how many more movies they have to watch. Well, it's going to be three more movies. So watch three movies and, uh, or read a, a full novel and then get back to me when you're done. Right. I, I mean, just do that because our kids will constantly ask when you're on any kind of long journey, your kids ask why and how long, and listen, it would have been the same thing for Jesus's family. And for all the other families that were traveling together, this was a long trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem and then back again just to celebrate the Passover. It took sacrifice and devotion. It was dangerous. And so that's why they would travel in these long caravans. So it was the length of time. It was the danger. It was the sheer effort it would take to do this. Yet it did not keep them from going, from attending Passover every year as usual. And it just makes me think about the effort that many of us go to, including my family, the effort that many of us go to for worldly things, right? I mean, we, we travel for baseball. We spend money on baseball. I mean, heck, there's a, there's a rule in our league that's called the 40-40 rule, which means you're playing unless it's below 40 degrees or the wind is higher than 40 miles an hour. But if it's not one of those, you're playing baseball. I mean, just think about the effort and the, the energy and the output a lot of our families put towards whatever worldly, th- I mean, fill in the blank that we don't put towards our relationship with Jesus, that we don't put towards getting our house to the house. Think about what that communicates about what's most important, what the focus of your family is. Think about how many times those kids would have been asking their parents, why are we doing this? Why are we going all the way to Jerusalem for this Passover celebration? Why? Did you know God told the nation of Israel that their kids would ask those kinds of questions? You might be like, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. Every kid asks those kinds of questions. But God told Israel in Deuteronomy chapter six, God said, your kids are going to ask why. They're going to ask, why are we doing this? Why are we going on these journeys? Why are we celebrating these festivals and celebrations? And why are we going through all these religious routines and ceremonies and all these things? They're going to ask why. God told him and God told him, here's what you're going to say when your kids ask, why are we doing this? Here's what you're going to tell them. In Deuteronomy chapter six, God says, you will tell them, here's why we're doing this. Because the Lord, our God rescued us out of slavery from the Egyptians with his mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. That's why we don't do this to be right with God. No, 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 no. Quite the opposite. This isn't a religious thing. We do this because we're right with God. We do this because we've been rescued from slavery at the hand of the Egyptians. For you and I, we do this because we've been rescued from our slavery to sin, which leads to death, eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And the Passover specifically, they would have told their kids, here's why we're going to celebrate Passover. Because the Lord, our God rescued us from slavery and here's how he did it. Here was the final blow. The angel of death came and killed the firstborn son in every family who did not have the blood of the lamb covering their house. But we put the blood of the, we trusted God. And so we put the blood of the lamb over our house. And so 
when the angel of death came by our house, the judgment of God passed over us because of the blood of the lamb. And so that's why we celebrate Passover. That's why we're going to Jerusalem. That's why we're on this long, dangerous journey. That's why we're all doing this together because the judgment of God passed over us and we were spared because of the blood of the lamb. And so we were set free from slavery to the Egyptians. And so we celebrate Passover to remember that, to celebrate that, to worship God because of it, to thank God because of it so that we don't forget. That's why. Jesus' house knew why. Your house needs to know the why. We're not doing this to be good people. The Bible says no one's good, no, not one. Not, not one of us are good enough to be right with God or to have a relationship with God. We're, we're not doing this to be good enough. We're, we're not doing this to be right with God, to achieve some sort of right standing with God. Like if we go enough times, then, then we'll be right with God. That The gospel's not you do, it's he did. It's done, it's finished. And so we do this and we do this together and we prioritize Jesus and we do it together with the family of God because God rescued us from slavery, from our slavery to sin, which leads to death. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, then the blood of the lamb of God, Jesus, is not covering you. And when you stand before God one day, you will be guilty for your sin. You will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell because you broke God's law and you're going to pay God's fine. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus, his lamb, to die in your place for your sin, to take the wrath of God upon himself. And when you give your life to Jesus, then the blood of the lamb covers you and the judgment of God will pass over you and you're set free from your sin. And the Bible says at that moment, when you give your life to Jesus, when the blood of the lamb covers you, you are made righteous in a second, means right with God. Your sin, past, present, and future are forgiven. And you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And so if you're here today, and you've never made that decision. Today's your day. Now is your time. The Bible says today, if you hear God's voice calling you to him, do not harden your hearts, but say yes and give your life to Jesus. And if that's you, jump on our app, the City Church Lubbock, fill out our connect form and just let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. But that's why, that's why we're here. Christian, that's why you're here right now. You may not have known why, but the reason we're here is not to be right with God, it's because we've been made right with God and we worship our Lord and Savior, and we come together in the presence of God because God's changed our lives, He's changed our hearts, and now by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what we wanna do, this is what we love to do. We love coming together with our spiritual family to worship God. But let me ask you this. Do your kids ask why? Maybe you don't have kids. Maybe, what, what about friends, family? Neighbors, coworkers, are, are they asking why? why? Why do you do that? Why, why, why do you are going to church? Why are you going to that small group? Why are you going to pray? Why do you read your Bible? Why, why do you give that money? That why, why are you doing that? Are your kids asking you, why? Why are we doing this? If not, maybe the focus of your family is off. 
And maybe you need to do this. You gotta fix the focus of your family. If you want your marriage to rise from the ashes, to rise from the fall, if you want your family to rise from the ashes, to rise from the fall, then you've got to get your house to the house. You've got to get your house to the house. Listen, Jesus is the only one that can turn us into the godly husbands and wives that we need to be. Jesus is the only one that can turn us into the godly moms and dads that we need to be and should want to be. Jesus is the only one that can change your kid's life. Jesus is the only one that can prepare you, that can prepare your kids for the hard things in life. Jesus is the only one that can prepare them for college. Jesus is the only one that can prepare them for the disappointment and the loss that they are certain to face in this life. Jesus is the only one. Baseball's not gonna do it. The value of baseball is only gonna be for my kids only for a few more years. They need Jesus. My kids need Jesus. I need Jesus. If I'm going to be the husband, the dad, the father that I, that I need to be, that I'm called to be, I need Jesus. And that starts with, it starts, it's not the end. Getting that first block, that first stepping stone in place, the most important one, the foundation, the focus of my family must be Jesus, getting my house to the house. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. We need a house to rise in. And so God, we, we know right now, for those of us that are parents, we know that starts with us. This scripture tells us that it was Jesus's parents that took their house to the house. Every year, Jesus's parents got their family, their house to the house. And so God, we know right now that it starts with us. We need men and women of God, husbands and wives of God, mothers and dads of God to produce children of God. It starts with us. And so just right where you're at, would you just say, set me on fire, God, set me on fire for you. Let my heart burn and blaze for you more than it does anything in this world. Set me on fire for you. If you're a parent, just begin to pray for your kids. Set my kids on fire for you. Let them burn for you more than they do anything else in this world. And if that's your prayer this morning, then I believe you've got the first step in place, the foundation to see your family, to see your marriage, though it may have fallen, to see it rise. Because the sun rose, you have resurrection power this morning, a power to rise from the ashes, a power to rise from the fall. God, this morning we claim Micah 7 verse eight, though we have fallen, we will rise.